Because tonight we're going to be talking about uh, the righteousness and wrath of God. We're in a series I've called Revelation as we look at the things the Bible specifically says are revealed. And uh, this is a passage of two things that talks about how that both the righteousness and the wrath of God are revealed. And uh, tonight we're going to begin with the revelation of the wrath of God. And uh, next week we'll talk more about what reveals the righteousness of God. Uh, But tonight we'll see in verse 18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. This comes on the heels of a very famous passage, Romans chapter 1 and verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it, that's in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Now, I'm sure tonight you would a whole lot rather me talking about the, be talking about the gospel and how it reveals the righteousness of God. The wrath of God is not uh, exactly a very popular subject. Uh, but I believe it's one that we need to consider from time to time as God's people. Uh, if for no other reason, because of what the Bible says about it. Because the Bible talks about the wrath of God a lot. And we'll see that tonight. You'll notice initially that uh, the Bible tells us that the wrath of God stands revealed. Uh, That is, uh, that the wrath of God is not something that God has to decide. It's not something that he must reveal uh, or make up his mind about. It stands revealed. If this was a military connotation, this would be considered a standing order. Uh, that's their way of saying this is not something that has to be issued every day or some circum. This is something that is just the rule, operational uh, discussion. It's in place at all times. And the wrath of God is like that. It is a standing order. It stands revealed. Um, God doesn't have to reissue a declaration of wrath for every people or every generation that comes along. Every generation might be thinking that it's inventing all of these new ways of being sinful. But the fact is uh, that though we might have a little bit more technology at our disposal, the the sins are all the same. Uh, We don't invent new things to do. Uh, We just recycle all the old things over and over and over again. One generation after another generation after another generation falls victim to the same decisions And unfortunately, those decisions often leading them away from God and placing them under his standing order of wrath. God's orders of wrath will never expire. His wrath against sin is always established. As long as there is unrighteousness and ungodliness, then God's wrath stands against it. John chapter 3 and verse 36, Jesus said this, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. For those who are not right with God, it becomes my responsibility as a preacher of the truth of the gospel to tell you that Even now, you are under the wrath of God. Uh, 
that person that you know that doesn't know Jesus Christ as their Savior. As a believer in Christ, we need to understand that that person is living under the wrath of God. The wrath of God abides on him. We also have a couple of other passages like Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 5 and 6. For this you know that no whoremonger nor unclean person nor covetous man who is an idolater hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no man deceive you with vain words for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Be not ye partakers therefore with them. We can't just confine the wrath of God to the eternal fires of hell, although they certainly are revealed there. But this passage tells us that it's possible to be living under the wrath of God even right now, at this present time. It talks about a lot of things that will bring the wrath of God down upon a person or upon a people. And it contains a sobering reminder to God's people Don't be partakers of God's wrath with them. The implication of this passage would seem to be that God's standing wrath against sin can be divided into two general categories. Uh, First of all, there is his eternal wrath, and that's what happens with hell. But there's also his abiding wrath. Now, when we're saved, we are delivered completely from God's eternal wrath. And we are not in jeopardy of that ever, ever again. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 9 says, For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us (laughs) from the wrath to come. That eternal manifestation of the wrath of God and the fires of hell is not something that we as God's people have to fear. There's nothing that's going to happen to you that's going to put you as a believer in Christ in that situation. But Ephesians 5 still warns us, don't be partakers in the wrath of God on the children of disobedience. Now, a good way to explain that is perhaps to look at one of the shortest verses in the New Testament. It's not that short uh, in English, but it is in Greek. Uh, Luke 17, 32. Remember Lot's wife. Remember Lot's wife. Jesus said that. Remember. Remember Lot's wife. Now, we had to wait all the way to the book of Second Peter to find out whether Lot was saved for sure or not. But uh, 2 Peter tells us that God delivered just Lot. That is, that uh, Lot was a righteous man and that his righteous soul was vexed uh, by the conduct uh, of the people of Sodom where he had chosen to live. So we know that Lot was a saved man. We might have a hard time figuring out at all what his wife's spiritual status was, but we know that she was certainly a part of a believing family. But I can tell you tonight that Lot's wife had been delivered from the wrath of God. You remember how the wrath of God was about to fall upon Sodom and Gomorrah? How Abraham interceded for the city, pleading finally, if God could only find ten, if there could only be ten righteous people found in the city, that God would spare the city on behalf of that ten, just ten righteous people. But of course they couldn't be found. The angel of the Lord then came and and took out Lot and 
would have taken out his whole family. But his son-in-laws mocked at him and apparently wouldn't leave. He left only with his wife and his two daughters. She was delivered from the wrath. She was outside the city. We'd call that home free. I mean, she was, she, <laughs> she was, she was delivered from the wrath. But she uh, stood there too close, longing and lingering, and it cost her her life. Turned into a pillar of salt. You say, Brother Rich, do you really believe that happened? I sure do. I sure do. I, don't, I can't explain it. I don't have to explain it. All I can tell you is that Lot's wife died under the judgment of God after she had been delivered from the wrath of God. And I can tell you that Jesus, and by the way, I believe in him. And by the way, Jesus believed that what had happened to Lot's wife really happened. And I can tell you that Jesus cautioned us to remember her. It's possible, you see, for believers to get caught up in a sinful lifestyle. That can happen. And while it's true that we have been delivered from the wrath to come, God's standing wrath also works in this life. And I'm going to talk to you a lot about that tonight. God's standing wrath working in this life means that we as believers can be found getting in with the wrong crowd, doing the wrong things. And it can cost you your life just like it cost Lot's wife her life. God's wrath is operating in this world today. I've heard Christians say many, many times, I've even heard preachers say, well, you know, God is going to judge America. I want you to know tonight that God is already judging America. He has been for a long time. And the evidence of that is going to be very clearly seen in the passages that I'm going to show you tonight about the wrath of God. So what exactly are the things that Romans chapter 1 tells us then are revealing the wrath of God. The wrath of God stands revealed against all ungodliness, verse 18, and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. We can call that the uns. Ungodliness and unrighteousness. Jude used the same concept. Listen to it again in this passage. Verse 15, to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed and of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are murmurers, complainers, walking after their own lusts and their mouth speaks great swelling words, having men's person in admiration because of advantage. But beloved, remember ye the words which were spoken before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how they told you there should be mockers in the last time who should walk after their own ungodly lust. Boy, Jude saw a lot of ungodliness, didn't he? And that was a long time ago. If Jude was alive in America today, he might not could say anything else. But ungodly, 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 ungodly. Man, it was a, he saw it over and over and over again. Those who are unrighteous are identified in Romans chapter 1 as those who hold, and that literally means who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. These are people who, 
who have no concept then of what it means to be right with God or, or to live right before God. They have no hope of heaven, no fear of hell, and they make a mockery of the wrath of God. Am I making this up? Do such people live in our world today? Well, uh, there was a real popular songwriter. Unfortunately, he got killed, uh, assassinated. But before he did, he wrote a song. And it says, imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. Uh, no hell beneath us, above us only sky. Imagine all the people living for today. Imagine there's no countries. It isn't hard to do. Nothing to kill or die for. And no religion too. Imagine all the people living life in peace. That was John Lennon. And that's just one in a long list of things that have been written and suggested that just denies God, denies heaven, denies hell. Ungodly, unrighteous, who suppress the truth in righteousness. Why do they do that? Well, the Bible makes it very clear in this passage. Uh, they do this because of their ungodly desires and passions. To put it simply, they have a, a way that they intend to live, the way that they have decided to live. They want to do what they want to do, whatever it is that they want. They want what they want. The heart wants what it wants. I don't want anybody telling me that it's wrong. I want what I want. And so they suppress the truth in unrighteousness and turn to ungodliness this is what is simply spelled out for us in Romans chapter 1. And it is why the wrath of God then stands revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness and those who are suppressing the truth in their unrighteousness. And he goes on in verse 20 to talk about the why. Why does God have to move in wrath in this way? Verse 20, for since the creation of the world... His invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. This is God's response. And I can say this as simply tonight as I can. I can say it as compassionately as I can. I could thunder it if you wanted to, but frankly, I don't have to add a lot of emphasis to it because it's so powerful all by itself. God presents to the Apostle Paul a simple premise. Since the creation of the world, everything created has an understanding then that they are made by God with eternal power and personality. They might not know who God is, but they know that there is an eternal, eternally powerful an eternally personal God. That God is not just a force, invisible, nameless, mindless, maybe evil or maybe good. No. God has personality. And his personality is in evidence all over the creation. So that according to this passage, it is clearly seen that there is an eternally powerful, personal God that we are accountable to. And the very fact of his existence, the fact that he is our creator, that he has made us then, leaves the created, that's mankind, without excuse. 
for deciding to live an ungodly life, to reject the truth of God, to turn away from this revelation of God and, and demand that he be able then to live his life on whatever plan or whatever basis that he chooses. Ungodly. But ungodly and without excuse, to put it simply, those who are ungodly and then who suppress the truth of God in their unrighteousness know better on some level. They know better. The creation with this amazing symmetry amidst all of its diversity is constantly crying out the message that this did not happen on its own. The universe did not create itself. Yet today, the ungodly and unrighteous crowd turns to a new form of naturism where they worship nature and because they have decided that somehow, indeed, that is exactly what happened that the creation created itself. And therefore, it's our responsibility to save the planet. It's kind of a new spin on all that. And it may be a new spin on it that we're putting out today, but folk, it is the same old religion it has always been. Naturism has been in evidence in primitive cultures around the world. Everywhere we've gone, we've found people worshiping the creation, naturism. It's been there. It's always been. It's been around for centuries. It's interesting that those who go in that direction almost inevitably end up in human sacrifice. <laughs> it's strange. History has shown that over and over and over again. It's always been that way. And some could argue that in many ways it is in our world today. So if that's the why of the wrath of God, because men suppress the truth and unrighteousness because they know better, and therefore God's wrath is revealed, then there's the how. How does this operate? Now, we don't have to spend a lot of time at, or talking about how that hell operates. We know because the Bible tells us, Jesus told us the specific story of the rich man who died, and in hell, the Bible says, he lifted up his eyes being in torments. Jesus told us that in hell the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. That the pain of death continues on and it's added to by the eternal fires of hell that never burn out. We don't know what kind of fire it is because it's also in a place of absolute darkness. And we don't understand how there can be fire and darkness in the same place. But there is. God can do that and he has. Hell's a terrible place. You don't want to go there. You don't want anybody to go there. But if we can understand a little bit about hell, because the Bible has given it to us so plainly, we might struggle a little bit in our understanding of how the wrath of God is operating even now. But it is. So we look in Romans 1.24. Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness, in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions, for even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another, men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty. Of their error which was due. Paul spent quite a bit of time in this passage. Talking about the sin of homosexuality. 
I'm not uh, homophobic. Nothing about homosexuality is something that I fear at all. Nothing. I'm not a bigot. I do not hate homosexuals. I do not. Uh, But I do agree with what the Bible says in this passage. Homosexuality is a sin. But it's presenting for us a sequence of events to explain how the wrath of God reveals itself in any culture where the wrath of God is turned loose. When people turn to ungodliness and unrighteousness, God responds with a demonstration of his wrath. What does that look like? It's right here in this passage. It's right here. First, God gives people up to uncleanness to dishonor their own bodies. The human body is honored when we realize that we are created in the image of God. And that our body is intended to be uh, something that is used for the worship of God and to be a temple of the Spirit of God. In other words, the Christian view of the human body elevates it to the highest place that it's possible for the human body to have. It is inhabited by the Spirit of God, yes. It is still marred and broken by sin, It is headed toward a recreation in Christ Jesus. But right now, the presence of the Holy Spirit of God is transforming us until that time when our vile body will be ultimately transformed and translated, transported into the kingdom, everlasting kingdom of God. What a day that's going to be. Preach about that this morning. I'd preach about it tonight again if I could. But it's, and I kind of can. So, (laughs) Um, the body though is is honored when we realize that, take that Christian view of it. The body is debased and dishonored when it becomes an object of vile passion. And that's what he tells us, that God gives people up then to uncleanness, to dishonor their bodies. He gives them up to vile passions as both men and women uh, turn away from what is considered in this passage the natural use and instead burn in their lust one toward another. And as a result of that, then, God gives people up to a debased, depraved, or a reprobate mind. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things that are not fitting or those things that are not convenient. So that while they they first have these vile passions and then they become obsessed with them and determined to do them, from there, then, it goes in a continuing direction. This is not something necessarily that will be seen in every single individual. But it is something that will be seen in a culture, in a society, in a country, in a nation, in a people who turn from God to ungodliness, who turn from righteousness to unrighteousness. That is, they get what they want. That's what they're demanding. I want what I want. I want what I want. I'm going to do what I want. I don't want God or anybody else telling me I can't do it. I want what I want. That's where the culture goes. But they get a whole lot of stuff they don't want. They get what they want. But they also get a lot of stuff nobody wants. Filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, full of envy, 
murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. Five things that the country gets full of. Let me ask you a question tonight. Are you full of turning on your knees, uh, on, on, on the news and seeing how many people were murdered in this country every weekend? Are you getting full of that? That's a sign of the wrath of God, folk. When a nation is full of murders, full of jealousy, full of strife, full of lies, full of evil-mindedness. Here's a nation then full of whisperers and backbiters. People who are, that's just gossips. They're, they're real good at it. Haters of God. Violent. Proud. Boastful. Inventors of evil things. Disobedient to parents. Undiscerning. Untrustworthy. Unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful. Who knowing the righteous judgment of God that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. Now follow Paul's argument in this passage. These are people who want what they want. They want to do what they want. They've turned toward ungodliness because of their own lusts, their own desires. They want to live like they want to live and they don't want God or anybody else telling them they can't live that way or that it's wrong to live that way. But once they go down that road, they're going to have a very hard time and see if this sounds eerily, vaguely, even familiar to you tonight. They have a really hard time then saying that anything that anybody is doing is wrong. No matter how violent it is, no matter how evil it is, where once they would have looked at that and said that somebody that's behaving that way is deserving of death. They need to be arrested and put to death. But they can't say that anymore. Instead, they end up approving of those who practice them. Of course, what Paul left out is, is the obvious side of that. They certainly don't have any problem disapproving those who stand for righteousness. That goes without saying. They've already talked about how ungodly and unrighteous they are. You see, this discussion of the wrath of God in Romans chapter 1 is showing us the course and the force. The course and the force of the wrath of God. That is how the wrath of God operates when it is unleashed in a culture that turns to ungodliness and unrighteousness. But that isn't the end of it. That's just the beginning of it. If you want to see the end of it then, you have to go over and turn to Revelation chapter 14 and verse 9. And the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast in his image and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand. Now, just to give you an idea of what's happening here, the beast and his image, uh, the worship of the beast, uh, speaks of, of the man of sin who is coming on the scene in the tribulation period. And it's interesting that a people who did not want God will embrace this evil, this personification of evil with everything they have. 
And not only then follow him, but worship him. The very antithesis of God. So much so that he's called the anti-Christ. And the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worships the beast in his image and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture, that is, undiluted, into the cup of his indignation, and he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb, and the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever. They have no rest day nor night who worship the beast in his image and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. Now I want to pause here tonight and just insert something that um, relates to what we're hearing a lot about if you uh, are on social media, if you read a lot of things, uh, you'll see a lot of speculation these days about the mark of the beast. I promise you I saw an article this week that somebody put out uh, that said that they're, uh, uh, they're putting some kind of stuff in the vaccine. And when you take that, then, you know, you're going to have that. And that's just the mark of the beast. I saw it this week. Let me tell you something. According to what I read in Revelation chapter 14 and verse 9, whoever receives the mark of the beast will do so as an object of worship to the Antichrist. I don't believe you can take this unwittingly. It is something that's going to happen. Number one, the Antichrist is going to have to be here (laughs) for him to be acknowledged and set up and followed and worshipped. And so you're not going to get the mark of the beast through a vaccine. You're not going to get it through uh, some kind of an innocent kind of thing. Oh, no, I've got it. No, no, no. That's not what the mark of the beast is going to be. It is an object of worship and identification with him. Nobody's going to take it unwittingly. Because if they did, then that means they'd burn in the fires of hell for something that they didn't even know they did. And that's not the kind of God that I worship. You understand? All right, so here we are. It's right here in Revelation chapter 14. That's just an aside, just a little point because uh, I read this article this week. What we then do see in this passage is the ultimate manifestation of the wrath of God. And while the wrath of God is being poured out now, the wrath of God is going to be poured out. And I'll tell you, if that doesn't make you want to tremble a little bit, I don't know what would make you tremble when you think about the wine of the wrath of God being poured out undiluted. Undiluted. Full strength. Well, the fact that God has a standing order of wrath amplifies the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I wanted to give you the wrath of God first before we talked about the gospel because as the gospel is manifesting the righteousness of God, we need to understand that it is set against the truth of the wrath of God. That the wrath of God is working in the world. It was working in the Romans chapter 1 world. It is working in Cabot America world right now, 2020, and what's left of it. And we'll start in in 2021. The wrath of God is operating. We are under a stern warning from our Lord Jesus Christ. Don't be a partaker of it with those who are unbelievers. Don't get caught up in it. Because you can be in the wrong place at the wrong time with the wrong crowd doing the wrong things and... uh, then whatever happens to them can happen to you too. It can be like Lot's wife. You can lose your life 
And there's a lot of God's people could give that testimony over the years. They went with the wrong crowd to do the wrong thing at the wrong time. And they paid for it with their life. It can happen. Don't let it happen. Be careful. We remind ourselves then that it is the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ that says to us that he that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life. But when you do believe the Son, you have life. You have life. God's standing order of wrath operates as the unbelieving and unrighteous, the ungodly and unrighteous crowd goes deeper and deeper in depravity as they take what they want, but they get a lot of things they don't want. The Bible warns us, and it warns them, but all this does is emphasize the importance of the gospel. The gospel, you see, can reach into the darkness of human depravity, into the very depths of the darkness of human depravity and bring salvation and deliverance. 1 Corinthians 6, 9, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you are washed, you are sanctified, you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. That's the power of the gospel. That's the power of the gospel. Whenever we think of Romans chapter 1 and we think of the subject of homosexuality, we need to understand that homosexuality is just one drop in a very large bucket of human depravity. It's only one thing in a long, long list of things that God says, okay, when you turn away from me, you become ungodly, and you become unrighteous, and you begin to suppress the truth of God in unrighteousness. When you change the truth of God, and you change the truth of God as the creator, and you make him then like in the creation. When you worship and serve the creation instead of the creator. When you turn away from God, and you turn then to unrighteousness. This is what you get. And it goes deeper and deeper and deeper into a prevailing sense of sinfulness as a culture turns further and further from God and becomes more and more depraved. That would be a bad, sad case if that was all we had. Bad, sad. But thank God we've got the gospel of Jesus Christ. Hope you'll come back next week. Hope you'll tune back in next week as we talk about how the gospel of Jesus Christ then reveals the righteousness of God. If ungodliness and unrighteousness then reveals God's standing order of wrath, and it does, then the gospel reveals the righteousness of God from faith to faith. Oh, we'll have fun next Sunday night. But I hope and pray that all of you here tonight will have a sobering reminder when we consider that the wrath of God stands revealed. I don't have a clue what the future holds. 
for our country. I don't know what the future holds for me and my family. I don't. Neither do you. But I'm glad I know the one who holds the future. And I know that God has been faithful. And he's still faithful tonight. And he's going to be faithful to us next year. I know he is. And we can depend on that. We can depend on that because we know Jesus Christ is our Savior. I hope all of you do. And I hope all of you listening at home do. Watching at home. Do you know Jesus Christ as your Savior? Because you've recognized that you're a sinner. You've called upon the name of Jesus Christ. You've believed on him. You've received him as your own personal Savior. Because he died on the cross for your sins. He was buried and rose again with the promise that he would give you life if you'd believe on him. I hope you have. If you haven't, I hope you will. Give me a text. Call me. I'd love to talk to you folks at home about how to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, how to follow him in baptism, how to become a member of one of his churches and be on that side of right and of righteousness.